0: Now on to the podcast. Happy New Year and happy week of the ABCA convention. I hope everybody's getting fired up for the convention. This episode is going to have two parts. First part will be a convention preview with the ABCA staff to give you insights on what to look forward to and how to attack the virtual clinic. Hopefully this will make your virtual experience great. Second part is with one of the best coaches we have in any sport, Tim Corbin. He's a great friend and mentor. He's the type of person that makes you want to be a better person. Coach Corbin needs no introduction, and if you don't know who he is, I assume you've been under a rock for the last 20 years. He's another person who's done just about everything you can do in the game and has done it with class and grace along the way. Coach Corbin has helped drive the game of baseball forward with his time in the college ranks and with USA Baseball. He has 753 wins as a head coach and two national championships in 18 seasons at Vanderbilt University. He was named the 2019 ABCA Hall of Fame and has given some of the best main stage talks at the ABCA convention that you will see. Let's welcome the ABCA staff and Coach Corbin to the podcast. Here with Craig Kylitz, ABCA Executive Director. Craig, thanks for coming on with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Do you really think we're going to be able to pull this off when we start meeting in June? You know, I'm not going to kid you. I had a lot of sleepless
1: nights because I couldn't, I could not feel how this thing was going to come together. So, um, You know, Ryan, you certainly know how this came together. But as a staff, we met and said, "Okay, what are our elements? And so if it is the clinics, if it's the expo theater, if it's a trade show, we started breaking down each segment. So, yeah, I had my doubts. There were times where I thought, boy, is this going to be useful to coaches? Can we pull it together? Can we get our coaches to come in and do clinics? Uh, And then we decided to fly each coach here to do live clinics here, tape them, and then have the live element of the Zoom call and boy, it came together great. But I had a lot of sleepless nights thinking that this might not be possible and it might not be a product that we'd be proud of because everything we've done for our 77-year history has been first class, you know, uh, something that we're all proud of and makes coaches better. And I didn't want to let the coaches down with this one, and I certainly don't think we have with this one. We're going to feel awful good about this convention.
0: I think we got it as close as we could to the on-site, and for members, I think this is going to be the best interaction they've ever had with the speakers.
1: You know, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that. It, you know, time will tell and we'll see how it comes together, but I feel great about that. And then the addition of the chat rooms to allow coaches to get that element of, of catching up with one another and, and and in depth conversations. And we have the ability of the chat rooms and then the Zoom meeting rooms so coaches can see each other and have up to five hundred coaches and we'll leave that up to the coaches to put those together and meet with the people they'd like to and include the people they'd like to and so forth. But um I'm excited about those elements as well to sort of give some of that familiarity of coaches, you know, saying who they want to get a hold of and how who they want to say hello to and and have meetings on the side. So I'm looking forward to that as well.
0: Any other recommendations for our attendees, our sponsors, our exhibitors? You know,
1: this is going to sound a little self-serving, but if you plan on coming to the convention and you haven't already sign up today make sure your username and password works and you know we have a limited staff here in the national office we got 9 full-time employees and if we get 4000 phone calls that morning of people are going to miss segments and I don't want that to happen get in get it started. And and starting on Monday, you'll be able to start downloading the different sessions you want to go to, exploring through it, looking through the trade show and so forth. So it'll behoove you to get in and get started and it'll really help alleviate some potential problems our end if if you have problems. Yeah,
0: January 4th, everything opens up and that should be today. So get in there and, and start milling around. And if you got questions, let us know, everybody listening in.
1: You know, the other thing I'm excited about is our trade show. And uh, we have 150 companies that, that have committed to us And they've not only committed to the ABCA, but they've committed to the sport of baseball and for coaches. And so I really ask everyone that's listening to this, go in, explore it. The companies that have committed to us, and that's what keeps our prices down. That's why our membership and our convention costs are so low because we have great sponsors and and certainly our, our companies that exhibit with us. But look to them first. If you need to do business on hats and there's a company there, go to them. If you need to get your bats and balls and uniforms and whatever else, look to them first. And you don't necessarily have to go with them, but if they have a great price, they have what you're looking for, and they're at our convention, be a part of that because they're, they're certainly committing to
0: us. Thanks for everything, Craig. All right. Thank you. Here's Zach Hale, ABCA Assistant Executive Director for Marketing and Convention. Zach, for, thanks for coming on with me. And also thank you for all your help with Twitter and getting the content out, you're tremendous. Instagram, uh, you do a tremendous job.
2: Appreciate it. Glad
0: to be here. Uh, what do you think is going to make for a great experience? This is January fourth. This is coming out uh, between now and the start of the convention. What's going to make for a good experience for everybody?
2: Honestly, to me, the biggest thing is getting signed up early, uh, January fourth. So you're you're getting access instructions today. Um, I would highly advise you to get in there, start building out your schedule. Um, There's a feature in there. You can build out your agenda, check off the can't miss sessions, uh, start looking through the speakers, who you want to connect with, all that. You can actually start sending meeting requests to exhibitors, to speakers, to other attendees. Um, There's a feature that'll let you build out a want to meet list. So I know... The biggest thing in person is obviously all the friends you get to see, the new friends you get to make, and uh, that want-to-meet list. You know, you see a speaker, you see uh, a guy from your area, or or it could be around the world that you may want to connect with, go ahead and add them to your want-to-meet list, and then uh, throughout the convention, uh, just reach out to them. Send them a message, set up a uh, virtual meetup where you guys can actually video chat with one another and get to know each other, learn from one another and uh, really bring that camaraderie and fraternity uh, to this virtual event. So that's, that's my big uh, takeaway for this year as to how to make it uh, the most enjoyable experience for you.
0: What about raffles with the exhibitors?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the raffle every year is, is a big draw. Um, again, this year it's different, uh, but it's still coming to you. Um, I will say uh, the exhibitors have done an awesome job. We can't thank them enough. Um, but there's some great prizes out there. Uh, we were actually looking through them today. Uh, you know, Juggs has thrown in a pitching machine. Wilson's got some stuff. There's, there's a bunch of great prizes, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be different, you know, typically for the raffle. You buy a ticket, you get entered into a random drawing, and this year you have a little bit more control over it. So um, once you're in there, upload a, a headshot of yourself into your profile. That'll get you some points. Um, add some sessions to your agenda. That'll get you some points. And uh, if you look through the raffle tab on there, it'll show you every every way that you can earn points throughout the convention. And what we're going to do is uh, at the end of the convention, if there's say 20 prizes, we're going to take the top 20 point earners, throw them into a raffle and just start pulling them out. So it's a, it's a great way for you guys to uh, take advantage of all the offerings of the convention, but also to win you uh, and your program some prizes. So um, there's there's going to be some great stuff in there. There'll be an interactive leaderboard going on, uh, live updating throughout the event so you can check where you are, uh, what points you need to get to, how you can add more points uh, to get up into those, those top scores so that you can win some prizes for yourself. But again, uh, when you're looking through the raffle and you see those prizes and everything, make sure you stop by those exhibitors booths that have uh, graciously donated those prizes, thank them, check them out. Because uh, like I said, without them, uh, the raffle is really not possible.
0: What are you looking forward to most?
2: Uh, Honestly, I've seen the clinics. um, So I've seen every guy that that strolled in here and all that, I've seen what they've put together and the time that they've uh, put into making sure that their clinic is a success this year. Um, And I can honestly say that they're all great. Uh, But to me, the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to is the Q&A afterwards. Um, I think it's so cool that uh, even in this environment, in this situation that we're in being virtual, uh, that each attendee is going to be able to get their questions answered, uh, have a more intimate setting with each speaker, uh, just like as if we were in person. So um, at the end of each clinic, for those that don't know, um, each speaker is actually going to be on live. Uh, You'll be able to submit questions uh, we'll have a moderator uh, that's reading those off to each speaker and they'll actually be answering your questions live. So if it's something that they mentioned in their clinic that you want more detail on, go ahead and ask it. Uh, if you have something just totally off topic, you know, it's, it's anything that, uh, that you want, you can throw at them and they'll be, they'll be answering those. Uh, like I said, right after their, their presentation. And I think that that's such a cool aspect and something that really differentiates Um, You know, you're not just watching clinics and learning, but you're actually having dialogue and discussion with each guy and uh, in this live environment. So that makes it really, really neat.
0: Where can coaches locate the outlines?
2: Uh, So each outline, uh, the presenters, again, have done a great job where they have provided us a one-page outline. uh, Just like if you've been to the convention in the past, uh, the clinic notebook that you get, Uh, each outline's actually in – with each presentation, so when you click into the presentation um, and you're logged in there, you'll see a, a link to download it. So you have a couple options there. Uh, you can open up the uh, outline and just look at it there. Take your notes, you know, on pen and paper. Uh, I know our Twitter guys have been having big discussions on which pens are the best. So uh, you know, whatever pen is your favorite. Um, I have no favorite personally, but I know that that's a a hot topic right now. You can use that on your home pen and paper. Um, You can actually uh, take notes online through the virtual platform. So uh, type up your notes as the convention's going. It'll save within the convention platform, and then you can actually export those. So if you want to send them to your email, um, into Word, whatever it is, Uh, you'll be able to take those out of the convention afterwards. So um, it's really, you know, it's tailored to whatever you like best. Um, Obviously, again, you can print it out and write directly on the sheet. Um, Whatever the best way of learning is for you, uh, that's what I would recommend. But those will each be uh, available along with the presentation. So you can take advantage of those. And it's like having your own uh, clinic notebook right there on your computer. Thanks for everything you do, Zach. Appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for having me.
0: Here with Jim Richardson, ABCA Assistant Executive Director for Coaching Development and College Division Liaison. JR, thanks for coming on.
3: Thanks for having me, Ryan.
0: All right, you got a little bit of a, a responsibility switch here. You're moderating the main stage speakers, so what are you looking forward to with the main stage speakers?
3: Man, honestly, um, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is the is the content. You know, this year it's, uh, it's obviously been a little bit uh, – different, so to speak, but uh, it's allowed us to focus specifically on the production of some amazing content. I mean, bringing in a first class audio visual production company to film our coaches and being able to have total control over the environment that these presentations take place in, um, I I think it's going to be phenomenal. And the end product um, our coaches are going to benefit from immensely.
0: You and I are both helping out with the hot stoves and I think man every year that the hot stoves continue to, to get better and you know people that are attending that first night it's gonna be the rookie mentorship and Paul Blanchard does a great job but that panel um is is stout all these panels are amazing what we've got going on but that first night it's gonna be Eric Schneider from Louisville Justin Toole from the Indians Mike Rooney from ESPN Chris Hawkins from Normal West and then Tim Corbin from Vandy. um and you know, there's been guys that have attended that every year that that always get something out. Um, and then from there, then we go to Thursday. Uh, we've got the catching hot stove, um, and that kicks us off at six thirty. And then we have base running. Um, you want to go over the the catching hot stove there a little bit?
3: Definitely. Um, you know, it's uh, it's kind of funny. When uh, we found out we were going virtual, I reached out to, uh, you know, everybody is kind of number one in their catching Rolodex, and uh, I know the Rolodex reference kind of dates me, but I reached out to Coach Weinstein and asked, uh, I asked Jerry, I said, listen, I've seen you on every Zoom meeting that I've been on. Um, I need somebody, one, who knows how to use technology. And two, we need kind of a heavy hitter here, coach. Um, So we we started kind of planning things out. And uh, I asked Coach Weinstein, I said, hey, can you go get us, you know, a big time name? You know, somebody that all of these catching guys would just relish an opportunity to listen to speak. And um, he comes back with Mike Sosha. and growing up in Los Angeles and being a Dodgers fan my entire life. And I mean, I've got i've got mike Sosia's bobblehead in my office right now so it's uh yeah i was fired up about it and the, the entire panel we have is going to be uh it's going to be awesome it's going to be a great conversation so i'm really looking forward to it
0: yeah joining those two it's tyler goodrow from goodrow catching ryan sienko with the dodgers Angelo from elgin and then colin wolver from the inspiration academy and then backing those guys up with base running is mike stowski and Matt Talarico who will do a tremendous job. I think they've got their video cam, their webcam set up so they're actually going to do some live demonstrations. And then Friday, January 8th, we've got Cart Jackson with the diversity panel. Uh, we've got some really new, good new initiatives coming up with the diversity panel. so I highly encourage anybody for jumping on with that and then pitching. After that at 8:30. Uh, we've got Pac, Pat Pinkman as always uh, running that and he's got Connor McGinnis from the Dodgers, Pete Larson, From the twins and Jonah Armold from the Rangers. Uh, And then moving on to Saturday, we've got the leadership, which you started last year with Craig Giannino. Um, and, you know, how proud are you of, of that starting something? I just think it's tremendous you guys started that last year.
3: Oh, it's awesome. And, you know, it's it's funny because I, uh, I don't have a long history with G, but, um, you know, I met him at one of our uh, barnstormers in San Jose, he presented, and uh, immediately hit it off with him, and we just kind of stayed in touch, and he kind of explained a little bit about his path and um, where he started, how he got to the University of San Francisco, and how really he got... Uh, into this whole idea of developing young men and and keeping that the main focus of everything. Um, and uh, long story short, that those conversations led to like, hey, let's try to launch something. Uh, you know, last year in Nashville, and um, you know, we kind of did a quiet, soft launch of the Hot Stove, and you know, it's something we're extremely proud of and excited to uh, to get out to our members this year. And
0: joining Craig is going to be. David Jeans from De La Salle High School in California, Pete Savage from Reno, and then Nino Giritano from the University of San Francisco. And that'll be Saturday at 6.30. And then hitting, we've got Chris Padretti, who's been doing this a long time. He's got Michael Early with Arizona State, Kyle Wilson with the Tampa Bay Rays, and then Jordan Tuig with St. Mary's College. And then we finish up on Sunday. This is something new. We actually roll into Sunday night uh, with infield and, and hot outfield. With the infield hot stove, we've got that Sunday night, uh, January 10th, 6.30 p.m. Kai is running that. Uh, he's got a tremendous lineup. So Coach Heller from Iowa is going to be on there. Perry Hill uh, with the Mariners, Ed Service at Creighton, Tucker Frawley with the Twins. And that's going to be the first half. And then second half, we've got Kai with Billy Boyer from the Twins, Ryan Klosterman from Bryant University, Ty Gillum from South Mountain in the Savannah Bananas, and then Bill Moziello with TCU. And then we will have breakout rooms after that uh, for more questions. So just phenomenal. We're going to finish up with the outfield hot stove, and that's going to be Pat Bailey, the legendary Pat Bailey, Josh Raby, From Quincy, Brandon Bellinger from the University of Louisiana Monroe, JT McGuire from the Cleveland Indians, and Gabe Ortiz, my uh, outfield hot stove friend, Gabe Ortiz from Kofa High School in Arizona. So, uh, JR, as always, uh, I do want to give you a huge shout-out for all the work that you've done with the video editing, the Barnstormers video editing, and then all the convention previews that you've done. Uh, I don't think people, people won't realize how hard that you work uh, and I'm proud to be a, a office mate with you here in the office. So thank you for everything.
3: Solid, Ryan. The feeling is uh, 100%
0: mutual, man. Thank you. Here with Juan Clark and Mike Odom, Juan's ABCA Assistant Executive Director for the trade shows and Mike's Assistant Executive Director for corporate sponsorships. And I think the two hardest working people in the office. Appreciate that, Ryan.
4: Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. And I'll- Paying. well we got
0: bookends here because juan's been with us the longest and Mike just got here with us but um, what needs to happen between now which is January 4th and January 6th to make this a smooth transition for our exhibitors and sponsors
4: well our our uh, ex expo- our vendors need to get in and and really understand that platform that we have. It's an outstanding platform. It's a pathable platform, and you need to get in and just kind of get in the back end and understand from a user span standpoint what, th- what these guys are going to be doing and then also understand how you can definitely get some ROI out of this process because there, it is there for the taking.
5: I think to, to go along with that, one of the words that we've used a lot here in the office is interaction. And this platform, that the Pathable platform that this convention will be on, as an exhibitor, will offer a variety of ways for you to interact with, the, with our coaches. And, and I think that's what the coaches are looking for. I think that's what the exhibitors are looking for. So um, to get into the platform, as, as Juan said, get in there and understand all the functionalities to it, so that you can maximize the level of interaction that you have with each of our, our coaches throughout the week.
0: And I, I think we got this as close as we could to the on-site, and we've kept the expo theaters. Mike, do you just want to kind of go through who's going to be part of the expo theaters this year? Yeah,
5: that'd be great. We've got 11 expo theaters scheduled um, that start on Thursday, January 7th at 1015. They start at 1015 every morning. Uh, Thursday through Saturday. We've got uh, the lineup for January 7th is uh, leading off at, at 10 is baseball cloud. And then we've got driveline who's doing a basically an 80 minute presentation. So we're going to go straight from 1130 to about one o'clock with driveline. And, uh, and then we close the expo theater for the day at two o'clock with a, with what will be a great presentation from rap Soto uh, on Friday, January the 8th. We, 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 Kick it off on uh, at 10.15 with Win Reality, followed by Hit Tracks at 11.30, 12.45 with Pocket Radar, and 2 o'clock with, uh, with our, our friends at Blast Motion. And then Saturday we've got um, two scheduled with Game Sense uh, at 10.15 and NCSA at 11.30. And let me back up, too. The, the 11th one is, is Thursday afternoon. Uh, we, we talked to these folks a little bit last week. Hack Motion which will be new to our convention uh, as an exhibitor as well as a, an expo theater uh, presentation. They're going to go at 545 on Thursday, January 7th. So Hack Motion, uh, be sure to come uh, check them out and, and go by their booth and, and, and interact with them.
0: So in the Expo Theater, their logo is going to be right in there, right? So during the Expo Theater, if they want to interact more after that, they just click right on the, the logo there in the Expo Theater?
5: That's right. They'll be able to go to, to their booth from the Expo Theater, um, but they'll they'll have plenty of time for some Q&A with, with each of these folks uh, following their presentation.
0: And, and both of you guys have been working your tails off since last January, you know, and that was way before we even knew we were going to be virtual. But... You guys have carried that over. Juan, how many exhibitors are we up to now?
4: So we're up to 145 uh, exhibitors, um, you know, and more getting on each day. And I'll tell you, you know, our main, um, we have some of the mainstays as well, like Wilson and Hit Tracks and Jugs and Soto and Rawlings and Sports attack and astroturf, and you know the ones that you're used to seeing at the ABCA, and then we also have some newbies, some some ones that don't. You may not really um, also, you know, really, you know, get normally like uh, trueletic and severins and hack motion, which Mike mentioned about. And Hour-a-thon. so there's some new new ones to be had here. Um, you'll need to check all this out here, moving forward once we get on and live on the sixth.
0: How important is it for our members to get in there and interact with our exhibitors in the exhibit space?
4: And it is crucial. You know, um, they're a part of the show. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, a big part of our show not only do we have all the great, you know, educational pieces, we also have the latest and the greatest. I mean, you think about how science has affected our game in the last five, six years, and analytics has has been a big part of it. It's still there, and it still will be prevalent at the ABCA uh, trade show, so you, you don't want to miss out. Um, and in fact, you know, these are the People that make that trade show possible year in year out, so it's um, you're just supporting those guys that have been there forever, basically.
0: Yeah, and please support those that support us. They've put their faith in us to to run a great show and have interaction with our members. And you know, I I just I feel like you know we owe it to them because they've showed faith in us. And Mike, what else you got?
5: Yeah, I I just think a lot of our these folks that'll be in the trade show. Um, I mean, we at, here at the ABCA, we've looked at this convention and we're, we are doing everything we can to make it like it is live and in person. And these, these exhibitors have done the same thing. They're putting a lot of time and strategy and, um, and, and, and what staff members are going to work into what are the new products that we need to have out there in time. There's a lot of companies that are debuting new things uh, on January 6th and 7th and 8th and 9th and 10th, um, and, and also the show specials. So, you know, if you're looking for a deal, th- there's all kinds of stuff. There's companies we work with that for the whole month of January, they're running a, a special that starts at the convention. So I would go and visit as many of these folks uh, as, you, as you have time for and folks you have relationships with, but then try and some of these new companies that have never been before – because they may have some stuff that really help you, you know, at practice or planning for the year, and it may be at a, at a good price um, because of the convention.
0: And even though we start January 6th, January 4th we go live. Can, they, can a member kind of get his plan set in place with the exhibitors January 4th?
5: I think at that time the, the, um, the coach can go in and start saying, okay, I want to schedule some meetings with these particular vendors and can start messaging these these vendors through the platform. So yes,
0: and, and that ties into our raffle. You know, Zach and I touched on that, but that goes into the raffle. So you're going to want to hit as many exhibitors as you can. Try to hit everybody. It's just like I, I, I'm trying to describe it as it's just like walking through the on-site exhibit area and as a member you need to treat it that way you need to touch every exhibitor that we have every vendor that we've had that has put faith in us you need to touch every one of those vendors and exhibitors that's in there
4: yeah you know um, nothing's going to be the same as it is alive but 2020 hasn't been the same as it normally is so we should be used to that by now but you know this is an outstanding event Um, it's virtual we won't get that same energy that we normally do get in a normal show, um, but these aren't normal times. But this is just an outstanding – I encourage you to really uh, investigate every, every aspect of what we're talking about because, you know, you don't want to miss out on something great. And I know these vendors and, uh, you know, also the coaches and the speakers are, are planning on you having a great experience anything else to add
5: no i appreciate you having us i think um again going back to the word i used earlier interaction you know interact with these with these exhibitors come interact at the expo theaters you know again we've got 11 different expo theater presentations where you'll have a chance to those will be similar but different than the main stages in the sense that you'll be able to potentially interact a whole lot more with some of these folks and a lot of great baseball minds that will be in some of these presentations uh, through, through these companies. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it a little bit and excited for next week and all that it'll, that it'll mean for coaches out across the country but also for, for the ABCA and um, it's been an incredible year putting this together. So we're I know we are excited as a staff to see it come to life and Certainly, hope that the coaches get uh, everything out of it that we think they can get out of it. So, thanks and, for. And I want us. to thank
0: both of you guys for the, the, the countless hours that you put in on the phone, emailing uh, to try to make this thing go. You guys are a huge reason why our fees are as low, our dues are as low as they are. We're the lowest of any national organization because of the work that you two are putting in. So, I thank you guys very much. Thank you. All right. Here with John Litchfield, ABCA Deputy Executive Director. I call you our Chief of Staff, the General in the Office. So, John, thanks for coming on with me.
6: I appreciate it, and don't know if that uh, title is warranted, but we can go with it for this, for the purposes of this. What is
0: going to make everybody's life easier? Here, it's January fourth from now until January
6: sixth to get ready for everything. Yeah, the the biggest thing by far is going to be to go ahead and get registered, uh, log into the virtual platform. Uh, and and take a look around, uh, ensure that you're able to get logged in. Uh, The biggest thing that we want to avoid is just having people have problems with their username and password or things like that. But if you go ahead and get in there a couple days in advance, build your schedule, go ahead and uh, build out your your virtual convention agenda, and you can actually export that into your calendar, which I think would be a really valuable feature, and and just uh, get familiar with all the events and how everything works before you're actually in it. I mean, you you put so much time into
0: this with all the virtual platforms that you looked at, and it was a yeoman's task. What was the decision for you with Pathable um, and going
6: with Pathable? Yeah, the, the good question. Possibilities for doing virtual conventions are really all over the place uh, as far as what the interactivity is. Some of them try to give you sort of a 3D virtual reality experience, which is kind of neat, but... I found it really wonky, honestly, where um, Pathable just really focuses on being a really good functional website that you can navigate through without getting lost and uh, and really utilize all the features during the the five days of this ABCA convention.
0: And I give you credit. um, You know, it is imperative that everybody gets signed up, but pushing this to Wednesday and putting it on the front end. uh,
6: Great idea because it gives us a little bit of wiggle room on the front end there, correct? Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, people can get logged in throughout the day, work out any final kinks, but more importantly, uh, I thought it was really important with the virtual convention to start it in the evening when we know that people around the United States aren't going to be having too much of a time zone conflict, uh, and, um, people who have to work, uh, have more of a chance to, to get through with their work day and, and, tune in in the evening, um, and if you, if you notice the way we changed the, the schedule quite a bit, um, really we just wanted to spread it out a little bit more and give people the opportunity to get onto as many things as possible. And then with it being in virtual uh, and the, Q, the live Q&A being part of the actual session, we couldn't run them 40 minutes back to back like we do at the, the uh, in-person convention. Uh, and we also want to give you time to check out the trade show every day. Uh, we've got about 150 companies in the trade show, and it's actually really neat. You'll be able to get on live with them, see their feed, see their products and, and chat with those sales representatives or um, whatever else you want to do. It's, it's, it's a really neat platform. So January 4th, it's live right now.
0: What what can everybody do right now to kind of get ready? Can they can they
6: tag people that are there? Can they tag exhibitors that are there? Can they do that right now? Yeah, right now you can get in. Uh, you can visit exhibit booths. You can request information if you want. There won't necessarily be somebody there live on video for you, but you can send messages back and forth. Uh, you can go on and look at all of the different clinic sessions and expo theater sessions. Uh, of course, those will be live at the time uh, that they are on the agenda, but you can build that out now. Uh, you can even see everybody else who is registered for the virtual convention. You can uh, try to set up networking opportunities or send messages to anybody who's in the system now.
0: And John, it was your idea to bring everybody here to record. How much
6: did you enjoy bringing everybody here to record? It was actually really fun. Uh, You know, we had about uh, 40 people come in over the two different stints of of time. Um, And most of those people would have never had the opportunity to come to the national headquarters, but we actually have a pretty neat setup here. Our, Our AV team is fantastic. They came and set up a virtual or not a virtual studio, an actual recording studio right here. And the coaches came as prepared as I've ever seen and just did awesome pre-recorded portions of their presentations. Uh, And then during this, uh, the virtual convention from the 6th to the 10th, those you'll be able to view those pieces and then the coaches will come on live for the Q and A. So you really get that nice mix of uh, better quality for the pre-recorded portion, allowing the coaches to do demos and things that they wouldn't be able to do if they were on a Zoom. Uh, But then at the end, they still come on live and they'll answer your questions and and, uh, have that component.
0: For everybody that's working, so they may be able to come to part of it, how soon will everything be in everybody's account afterwards? Within two weeks, we'll
6: have it on abca.org in the coaching resource library. Um, and, And so anybody who's registered for the convention will get all that stuff. There's really no pressure to be on every single uh every single session live as it goes i just encourage you to get on as many as you can uh but then know that you're going to have that in perpetuity when as long as you're an abca member you'll be able to access that uh that stuff and then for people who are members who don't come to the convention um as part of our new membership benefits you will get that um access to that stuff it'll be in uh, in late may that the rest of the population will get access to these videos what are you looking forward to most really just seeing it roll uh what what i want to see is the coaches interaction um i think uh i had the opportunity to do a couple of virtual conventions as an attendee this year and uh really where where i saw it come to life was when i started using the chats or just seeing people actually interacting during it i think a lot of the speakers are planning on getting on their session and chatting back to the members who are watching even prior to the live q a portion um And then to see people interacting with each other and sharing ideas that are similar to whatever the session is about. Um, Really, when you when you see that stuff come to life, uh, that's really when you'll you'll understand how cool the virtual convention is, I think.
0: They are part of the show this year. I mean, they've always been part of it, but I'm excited this year, like they're active participants and how the event goes this year.
6: Absolutely. It's um, you know, we've got about 50 people to coordinate where they are during the course of, of five days. And, uh, and those guys are seem to be really pumped. All, all of the different speakers seem to be really pumped about, about what this is going to be. And, and um, I think that the, the members at home will really enjoy it. And like you've been saying with the hashtag, everybody's going to be in the front row if you get on this. And um, so the viewing experience, while it's a little bit different than being there in person, uh, the quality really probably be better than what you get, just depending on where you are able to sit in the clinic hall in a typical year. When
0: you see John during the event, please tell him thank you. He's put in a tremendous amount of work, and uh, it's been stressful for all of us. I'm getting excited now, but uh, you know it's been stressful for all of us to try to pull this off.
6: Definitely, and over the past probably three or four weeks is when it's really taken shape with everything that we need to do, and uh, it's been a real team effort, but, but we've got a good, good game plan and still actually quite a bit of work to do just in the next couple of days, and um, just to make sure that everything comes off well. But but uh, I, I can guarantee as, as coaches out there, you're not going to be disappointed. Thanks, John. Thank you.
0: Quick break here in the action before we get in uh, to, with Coach Corbin here for the second half. But just a reminder that today is the last day of the $100 cost of the convention, and then tomorrow it goes up to 120 So if you haven't signed up, please get on it. Uh, thanks again for listening and enjoy the second half here with Coach Corbin. Here with Tim Corbin, uh, long list here, 2019 ABCA Hall of Famer, past president, executive board member, um, two-time national champion. Um, could go on and on, but thanks for being here, Corbs.
7: Well, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate him going on and on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I told this story in 2012. I'm on the main stage, but um, – I, and I think about this every, just about every day. But when you were an assistant at Clemson, I reached out to you. This was before even email. And you sent me a resume. And you, you took the time to put it in the mail. And, and so I got it. And, and I, I still think about that just about every day, just how gracious you were to send that to me. And um, that has driven me to now try to pay it forward for people as
7: well. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. First off, that's when we did have mail. We probably had landlines, too, then, too, right? Yep. Right. You show our age a little bit. But, no, I, I, I've always followed your dad and followed your family and followed you from afar. And, obviously, because of my relationship with Derek Johnson, got to have more insight about your family. So it, that was uh, certainly uh, a contact that, was, that, that has lasted a long time. Yeah.
0: Who was your inspiration to get into coaching?
7: Um, I I think it was probably John Wanken. If that's, that's, yeah, I never really thought about it that way. Cause I, you know, I always felt like it was going to be a teacher and coach anyway, but there are certain people that, uh, inspire you to want to do things like them. And I I think it was John Wanken. I, you know, when I was a college kid, I was a division three player, but you know, I'd come home during the summer, and, and that was really when the College World Series was the only thing on TV. It was uh, kind of the middle of June, and ESPN would cover it, and it was obviously just the finals back then. But because Maine was such a prominent player in, in the College World Series when I was in college, I was drawn to them. I wanted to go there and uh, to play, but I couldn't. Um, but I, I followed Coach Winkin closely, and then saw the way he, he did things. I always admired how he was an older guy that stayed in shape, carried a clipboard the entire time. That's how he coached. It was completely different than everyone else, but I just felt like he had a very good system and I felt like he had a good way about him. And I always, I looked at him as like a kind of a grandfatherly presence. And I really felt like the kids admired that piece of him. So I would say coach Winken probably was, was that person. And then when you got into
0: it, who inspired you as a young coach to be better?
7: Uh, well, I think many people. You know, Coach Leggett certainly is is one person because he hired me at, at Clemson. But I, I was kind of a coach follower. I, I, I really enjoyed football coaches. I, um, I loved Bo Schembechler. I loved Woody Hayes. I probably followed more football coaches than I followed baseball coaches, Ryan, just because I was intrigued with their way and intrigued with how they coached. And I was a huge college football fan growing up and, you know, on Sunday, Sunday mornings, watching the reruns of the Notre Dame games and listening to Lindsey Nelson. So I was an Eric Parsegian fan too. So I, I would say football coaches in general were the people that led me to want to do this more and that which really goes back to your first question but i I would say that as i progressed doing what i'm doing right now coach leggett really was a tremendous influence on on what i did and how i did it
0: just came out with a
7: book by the way just coach leggett Mm -hmm. just released his book he did yeah he did and um i haven't read through the entire book yet but uh i'm glad that he put that together and put a lot of thoughts together for for people
0: I used to work uh, Best of Virginia camp with Bubba Dorman, who worked Clemson's infield camps. And so I stole a lot of my throwing program that I still send out to coaches from Bubba Dorman. So in a roundabout way, stole that from Coach Leggett. So that throwing program that I have with me, have had with me forever, came from great. Bubba Dorman from the Best of Virginia camp. So it was great coach, stole some of the team drills too. Hub mm-hmm. drill. Uh, there's a lot of good drills that I stole from Bubba during that, that week of Best of Virginia Mm -hmm. Hey, is it more difficult to take over a program like Presbyterian or maintain an elite level at Vanderbilt?
7: They both have their challenges. I mean, starting a program is never easy, particularly one that you don't have any resources. With Presbyterian, we didn't have a field, so that uh, that was difficult, but it was really all we knew, and I really enjoyed it because it was one of those things where... You got to build a facility, really build it, you know, hands-on, develop it, um, help lay the brick and foundations for dugouts, build cages and so on. I, I really enjoyed that piece of it. And then um, once you get it going and you don't have any coaches and you don't have any resources to hire coaches and you don't have any scholarship money, then you really have to make do. And I I really felt like that created a a foundation for me of learning and, and knowing that nothing was going to be handed to you. So you had to create ways to find players. You had to create ways to get equipment. You had to create ways to um, build resources. And, And that was not easy at all, but I would say it was probably one of the best learning environments that I was ever placed in. Vanderbilt, on the other hand, um, I, I just think that the only thing that, when I say the only thing, the, the thing that you have to do, whether you have a successful program or building towards success, it, it's just the replication of your energy every day and and not assuming that anything is going to be like what it was. I mean, you always have to go to the office or to your environment. And you you have to recreate yourself every single day. And I, I just think that having done this for a period of time, and now 19 years at Vanderbilt, I think that's the part of, of Vanderbilt that we're all proud about. And that's just the consistency of the program. But the consistency of the program is brought upon by the, the people that are inside of it, that's the staff and that's the coaches. And I, and I do feel like that's the one part, at least where we are, that you, you, can't, you can't ever sit back. I mean, I, I feel like a person that is in a two-legged chair. You know, it's, you're leaning back, but you, you, you can't settle down with all four legs on the, on the ground, nor can you let it fall all the way back. So it's almost like a balancing act every day. But I would say from an energy standpoint, the way I felt at Presbyterian is no different than how I feel now. It's like, okay, we're, we're still continuing to build the program. I never feel like we've reached a finish line. I never feel like that we've accomplished anything. I, I just feel like you have to recreate the experience for the kids every year. And uh, that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And it takes a lot of energy too. And I think that's where coaches probably – once they start slipping a little bit, it's when that energy subsides. Um, And then then I think you have to identify whether you want to continue doing what you're doing or whether or not you can muster up enough energy to give the kids what they need in order to create a great experience. Off
0: air, you talked about setting up a tent for your classroom because that is so important to the program and and maintaining that elite level. Um, You know, we've had a lot of questions with how you do your team segment stuff. What about an audio visual then in the tent? How are you setting up audio visual? Were you doing any audio visual stuff in the tent or was it just you talking?
7: No, we did. Uh, I, I think my voice would get old rather quick and I, I don't want to do that. And then I, I do know that I do have to communicate. And I, one of the reasons for the classroom, Ryan, is so I can communicate up there. So when we go to the field, there's not as much communication by myself, but I, you've heard that. But I think the thing that, we did. We we uh, we put two built-in screens, uh, we rented some audio visual equipment, and we just ran a, a daily classroom outside underneath that, that tent, and it worked out quite well. I mean, from the time that we started on August 28th, which was our first meeting, to the time we finished on November 20th, we... I think we had 50 classroom sessions, and that's really it's that's nothing unique for us now. I mean, it's just how we start the day, and you know, there's there's a lot of people that run classrooms in a dugout. I, you know, to each his own, and I, I would never tell anyone that, hey, do what we're doing. I mean, it just works for me, and uh, but we were able to recreate the the same situation, albeit be it under a under a tent, and we spread people out. Uh, it was outside, so. Everyone was masked up. It was, you know, a challenge, I think, at sometimes, But once we got used to it after the first, it was awkward for me, at least at that first meeting. But once it, once it got going, I felt like, okay, this is kind of normalcy now, and this is, this is what we're going to do. Now, as we come back, Ryan, um, that's the next challenge because we took the tent down. And obviously, if the weather's a little bit cooler, uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to do that. So we're going to have to recreate another situation.
0: I mean, could, you could technically bring portable heaters in there if you needed to, right?
7: Yeah, yeah, you could. And we did have sides. We had that. We did have a, a backdrop on the back of the tent and and a, and a drop behind me too. So the back and front um, were were uh, there were sides. So we certainly could do that on on either side as well. So that may have to be what we do. Can you develop
0: intrinsic motivation with players? You know, you've you've talked about David Price a lot, his freshman year. I I think for me, I I always think about with kids and maybe it doesn't work out for them at times or they leave a program, they're probably driven more by extrinsic motivation, whether it's a scholarship or their parents or -hmm. playing time, you know, can you develop intrinsic motivation with players or is it just something they have?
7: Well, I think some of it's innate. But I I think the the key for a lot of young people is to try to help them find what they're good at, what they like to do, and what their passion is. And I think if they can move towards that, then you're you're going to help them find that intrinsic motivation that you're talking about. But I, I think they have to understand what they're looking for, and I think they have to understand they start, have to start reading themselves a little bit. And that's not always easy for a young kid because, as you mentioned, a lot of young kids, they, they enjoy the game of baseball. And we are talking about – since, Coach, we're talking about baseball here. So, But I think when kids start out playing, they, they start playing for, for certain reasons. And then as they get older and they become good enough maybe to attain a scholarship or attain opportunities – then I, I think they they continue playing, but then they've got to ask themselves why are they playing and what what are they trying to accomplish? And we're certainly driven by kids that want to be in team environments and are driven by doing things with other people and the emotions that you you gain from from doing that. And there's some kids that are not driven by that at all. They're driven by what they can get out of the game. And I'm not saying that that's, that's wrong or right or anything. It's it's just how certain people are wired. And some of those kids find themselves in uh, professional baseball and they can operate well because they, they just know that it doesn't matter really where they are in the environment, they're playing and they're trying to accomplish whatever they can themselves. And I, I think internally for us is trying to find those kids that, um, that that want to play this game, but want to play this game because they, they really cherish and love the team environment that comes with it. But I, I think that's the, the job of a coach is, is to try to help kids find out what what motivates them and what moves them forward and what makes them happy, because really happiness is is the key for all of these kids.
0: Is that the same thing with your elite big league guys that you've coached? as well. You think that helps them get through the minor leagues then with having that intrinsic motivation?
7: I do. And I, you know, I think the, the, the kids that have moved from here and played the game at the highest level, I, I would say that there's an element of them, Ryan, that the, the, comp, the, compete fiber is, is certainly in there. And you say, well, everyone competes, not everyone competes at, at, at that level. And there's competitors and then there's competitors and we we just had one that left our program and i've I've spoken about him and he's he's rather he's he's recent and that's austin martin but i think when when evaluators ask questions of me about austin you could watch austin take Take batting practice, Ryan, this is just an example, and he would never hit a ball out of the ballpark. He would hit a ball. His ceiling height of the balls that he would hit would be anywhere from eight to 10 feet. They would be in the middle of the field. There was some direction to them. But yet, if you saw the ball off his bat, you'd say, you know, there's not a lot of exit velocity per se. There's not a lot of distance to his ball. But you get that kid in a game, And there's a game twitch that happens that separates him from everyone around him. His base running skills, the ball coming off of his bat was no longer what you would see in BP. It was driven against a fence or driven over the fence, his ability to go get a ball. And I think the the separator there was Austin was an elite competitor and he made the game very simple by competing against the ball. And I, and, I, and I always told that to evaluators because I just thought I was, wasn't trying to be unique in what I was talking about. But it just to me, it was very simple. When the ball was hit at him, he was going to catch it. When the ball was thrown at him, he was going to catch it. When the ball was thrown at him and he was in the batter's box, he was going to hit it. He just made the game very simple and he didn't try to get too abstract with anything. And I think going back to whether it's Austin or Sonny or David, or anyone who's played Mikey Miner, anyone who played at the big league level, they were very, very good competitors, and they made the game simple. It, it wasn't too difficult for them to think through. They just they were more um, reactors, uh, and they were they were investors. They invested a tremendous amount of time into the game because they loved it. They enjoyed it. It was a passion of theirs.
0: And that's when you and I first met is when I was coaching Khalil Green at Falmouth and you were coaching Team USA. But he was I would use him as an example. His BP was very pedestrian, would maybe sometimes not get a ball out of the infield. And then game time, he just could flip a switch and it was completely different, but had great feel for the game, was always in the right place. Uh, You know, metric skills, foot speed, not great. You know, arm strength, probably not great, but just could compete at a high level and was was could think the game differently and was always in the right place because he saw the game differently as well.
7: I'm going to tape that little segment that you just said, because I've, I've used Khalil to, as an example of players. And I, I'm glad you said that because I, I've spoken those words. You're, you're 100% exactly right. I mean, Khalil Green never tried to hit a ball out of the ballpark. And actually I remember at Clemson, He just tried to come after me behind the L screen. What he tried to do is at the top of the L screen and actually knock it over. And that was kind of his his goal. And to your point, he had such a unique presence for the game. And if you saw him like I did when I was evaluating him, I saw him the first time and I thought, not sure. Second time, not sure. Third time, I like him. Fourth time, he's that kid that, So many baseball players, uh, not so many, but some like them, where you have to actually watch them play over the course of time, and then you have an appreciation for what they can do. Khalil, was he fast? Maybe not on a clock, but in a game. Tremendous angles, ran quick, had a great burst. The defensive skills, I really felt like he was going to play in the big leagues for 30 years. I I just felt like he was one of those kids that if he was healthy – he would play for a long time. And he did. He, play, he played for a, a significant amount of time until he just stopped playing. But I, I, that's, to me, that's the, the greatest college season I've ever seen. 475, 28 home runs, 90-something RBIs, only 10 errors at the shortstop position. Just a phenomenal year. And um, like Austin Martin and like those kids we're talking about, highly, highly competitive
0: his freshman summer we got to the end of the year and we were down we had like nine position players left and his back was a little dinged up but he never begged out and Brian Bridges was our pitching coach who's scouting director with the Braves but we're in a game it's our last couple games he goes hey look at Khalil Khalil's just sitting there on the bench and then has a fungo next to him and picks himself up off the bench with his fungo to go out and play defense and I was like, that, that kid is built different. Like, he likes to compete and, you know, didn't beg out. And you don't, you don't see it as much anymore now, which I understand. But for a kid like that to say, hey, I'm still going to keep taking the ball because you guys need me to because we have nine position players left, um, just I, I can't say enough great things about Khalil. Those two summers I was with him um, changed me as a coach because I got a chance as a young coach to see somebody like that see how he went about his business and his passion for the game and was a different kid personality wise too. That was great for me dealing with somebody that not, not real talkative. Once you got to know him, he was, but Mm -hmm. was great for me as a young coach to have to deal with a player that wasn't very vocal, that you still had to find ways to try to connect with him.
7: Mm -hmm. Very internal. But I think to to your point too, the, the leaders come in all different shapes and sizes and voices too. And his voice was soft, but his voice was very powerful. And he led by how he modeled, how he trained. Um, and actually, he led off the field too, because he had a unique way of gathering people, which is so important away from the field. And I, I thought he had tremendous leadership abilities. And they, they weren't conventional in the way that most people look at leadership. But at the same time, that's an aspect of leadership that's very, very important for a team. And I think when when you start talking about leadership, you need leadership of different components and different buckets. And he he certainly gave you that. Well, and he
0: led, he led by example through his nutrition, through his workouts, you know, he, he was, he was protein, high protein diet way before anybody else was doing any of that stuff. And those are things I was picking up as a young coach. Here's a guy, this kid's got it figured out. He's on top of his nutrition. He's on top of his strength training stuff. Like, he's a great example of, of how you live your life away from the baseball field as well.
7: Yeah, the, and those aren't stories either. I mean, he he would come to Clemson and, and practice, and there was, honest to God, there was a, a piece of grilled chicken in his uniform pocket. He'd take it out, take a bite of it, and put it back into his pocket. And he used to love professional wrestling and back then professional wrestling maggie and i we had a dish he knew about it and anytime there was pay-per-view he'd say corbs can i come over and watch professional wrestling at the house and he'd come over by himself and sit down with our two girls on the couch and as he come through the door he had four four to five tupperware uh containers and each one had chicken tuna fish or salmon he'd give it to maggie and he said Can I give these to you? I just want to heat them up every 30 minutes. So while he came over to watch wrestling, he would just eat protein while he was watching wrestling and sit in the middle of a couch next to our two young daughters and watch four hours of wrestling. Priceless.
0: I was gonna. I have that. Do you make your own luck?
7: Make your own. Yeah, I think you do. I think sometimes you got to be sharp enough to avoid your own bad luck too. Um, but yeah, I do. I, you know, I, I think you put yourself in positions of positivity by how you treat other people, how you treat your situation, um, how you don't take anything for granted. I, I think luck follows certain people in a certain way. And then, you know, I, I you know we've been we've been very fortunate around here and and then there's times where we've been unfortunate to some degree too you know with certain situations that have happened around us with loss of life and so on but I think luck is a tricky thing you know I you could ask the players and I'm a big believer in karma so you know in terms of just treating other people well, saying the right things, not taking anything for granted, cherishing what you have, being uh, grateful for what you have. I I just think that those things are very important. And I think especially with young males is being able to voice that to them so their understanding of it and don't take anything that, that, that they have right here just because they're at Vanderbilt doesn't, doesn't mean they've been touched by God. There's, there's something that you have to do in order to earn those opportunities and hold on to those opportunities. So um, I I just really feel like it's, it's just more about trying to be the best possible person you can be.
0: What role does strength and conditioning have in teaching kids how to compete?
7: Well, I I think several, I think number one, just the, the the obvious and that's health. I, you can't compete if you're not available. And I, I think the, the one thing about being healthy is understand, starting to understand your body. I think that's what happens when guys get into college is because of education and because of a strength coach and because of coaches in general, they become more in tune with their body. And I think when they become more in tune with their body, they start understanding how to feed it, um, how to use it, how to let it rest, how to ramp it up when you need to, how to really to uh, pass barriers that they've they've never they've never passed before, and I I just think through strength and conditioning, there's a tremendous level of confidence that you can gain and self-esteem by investing in that area, watching your body grow, and then watching your body do things that it's never done before, and I think you know, whether it's your body or your mind, Ryan, once you've accomplished something that you've never accomplished before, growth and confidence happen. And I think for every young kid, that's where you start to see, uh, start to see people take off. And you mentioned Khalil earlier, but that was Khalil too. I mean, he, he, he always had an affinity for his body and how he treated it. But as the years progressed, it, it just became more so. And you could see how, I think the injury that you were talking about was a disc injury, and I remember him doing the same thing at the University of Miami. But I look at that injury, and then I look at what happened to JJ Bleday, his sophomore year at Vanderbilt, and those two guys, because of those injuries, they modified training and became even more in tune with their bodies, to the point where they both accelerated. It's like Khalil. Uh, and I'm not saying just this one thing that happened to Khalil, but Khalil basically shut it down for the summer and accented on different things leading up to his senior year that really, really spiked his baseball abilities. And then JJ Blade, too, he had an ab injury that knocked him out for eight weeks and it really killed us his sophomore year. But when he came back, he was a different person. And it was because his route, the routine he put himself through leading up to training And how he would ready himself, I I firmly believe to this day, and Mike Baxter and our coaches would say the same thing, that it it really, it changed his life. It, It made him who he was. So going back to strength and conditioning, when you look at football programs, maybe the most important hire inside of a football program is your strength and conditioning coach. I'd say the same thing for baseball. I'd say someone... Who can, who can take? Care I of said it
0: the kids. other day. I yeah. said if, if baseball had the same resources as football, you would see the baseball strength coach getting paid just as much as the assistant coach for baseball programs. If baseball programs had the type of resources that football had, you would see them get paid just as much.
7: Because they're with them almost every, every single day. Yeah. And, and, and you know you're only granted so many hours on the field. so if you can't do those hours on the field, those kids are finding their way into the strength room. And I would say that that relationship with that one person and what they do with their body, I, you're, you're 100% right, Ryan, that, that is a, that's a, that's a huge part of, of college athletics in general.
0: I would use Khalil as an example with my players, because he didn't put up good numbers in the Cape those two summers. And I tried to talk him mm-hmm. into coming back for his junior summer. And he goes, mm-hmm. coach, you know what? It'd be great to go up to Falmouth and hit less than a hundred, those, this summer. He goes, but I need to go home and work on some things. And he, it was great that he was so honest that he he didn't have great summers, but he goes, I, I appreciate it coach, but I'm going back to, I'm going back home and working out this summer. So I thought it was phenomenal. The response that he, that he gave me and you know, what the Omaha challenge for you guys, how right. has it changed? I would also use this, um, as, alums coming back to support the program because there was a youtube video of david price as a pro hosing players down while they're crawling on the warning track and i would be like hey guys this guy's a big leaguer and he's coming back for the omaha challenge because it probably meant a lot to him how has that changed for you guys over the years with the omaha challenge
7: well that's a that's a great event and that was stimulated at clemson jack started that back in 1996 with a guy named john sisk who was our strength coach who's now the strength coach at Georgia State in football, but between Coach Leggett and John Sisk, they developed the Omaha Challenge, and that became such a great event at Clemson, and then certainly when I came to Vanderbilt, I I said, there's there's no way we can't have that. The, the, The kids, as difficult as it was, because it's just a culmination of strength and conditioning events at the end, but it, it, it finalizes the semester, it sends everyone home to the Christmas break with with some confidence, I think, because you have to compete. It it the, the the events are difficult and it's a week long. There's you know, in our situation now we have a pitcher champion and a position player champion and a team champion too. You break them up in four different teams. So, you know, we've kind of modified it through the years, but it was stimulated by Jack and I, I just I think it's one of the best things that he ever did with John Sisk to try to develop some competition in something outside of baseball that, that was really refreshing and that really was uh you know stimulating for the kids and it, it, it certainly there too it 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 uh it added to the confidence of many because you could see how kids really took off in certain situations that you know, weren't really prime events for some, but were events for them. And I think it didn't favor just one person. It didn't favor the strongest guy in the room. It it favored the guy that really could do a lot of different things, almost like a decath decathlon. So I I think it's one of the best things we do.
0: Well, you talk about believing that you can do something after you accomplish something you didn't think you could could do. I mean, it it feeds into all of that, and it becomes a tradition. There's some tradition with it, and. Right. You know, are there some events that you've taken out or are you pretty, pretty much same events that you've had the entire time or you've added some different events now?
7: There's events that are staples, you know, like, uh, I would say the, the dumbbell bench is a staple. Um, it, it's, you know, it's not a, a tremendous amount of weight. I think they're, they're using 70 pound dumbbells, which, you know, is still significant to some, but, um, that that's a staple the hang that towel hangs yeah. is a staple but I would say outside of that the final event um is, is always different because Chris Ham, our strength coach now he's been here 13 years he always modifies it and I think you want to keep it fresh for the kids too you want to do something that's a little bit different than the years past but you find certain events that find their way back in whether it's a tire flip whether it's a rowing machine um whether it's a a plate carry some way somehow you find those in involved in, in these events but yeah i i uh i i like you know and i don't like watching the kids suffer that but i like watching the kids compete and it is a it is a it is a very competitive event and you can see that you can't jump into these events half-hearted you're either in or out And uh, if you're not healthy, you can't be in them. So uh, I I love it. I I think it's, yeah, it's still uh, one of the best things we do. I would
0: get emotional in the weight room day because they would have to, we would weigh them. They'd have to put their body weight on the bar and then they would have to see how many times they could do it. And then at the end, we went to time to see how many they could do. But in the beginning, those we had guys going like 70, 75 reps with their body weight on the bar Doing mm-hmm. it, and I would get emotional because you'd start to see guys push through things, and and again feel like they're accomplishing things that they didn't think were possible. And right. so for me, like that's where I would get emotional watching guys push through things that, yeah, are challenging. No one's gonna die, but it just I got really emotional with guys push. You have that whole team concept of guys cheering each other on, trying to help them push through things. I think there's just so many good things that come of
7: it. There is everything that you mentioned right there. I love the team environment of it and helping each other push through. It it is, uh, it's certainly a testosterone ridden event. You've coached third
0: base your entire career. Mm -hmm. Ever a time where you thought about managing from the dugout or has it always been, I'm going to manage from third base?
7: Yes, I thought about it, and I've you know I've offered that opportunity to the other coaches too. I, I don't feel like I'd need to be out there per se, uh, but I, I also know there's probably a, not a lot I can offer inside of a dugout either. Um, do I, I enjoy it? Um, I enjoy getting out there. I think I, I I won't enjoy it if the results aren't as good, and I feel like I'm I'm hindering the team. I, I you know what it gets down to, Ryan, is just how I feel like I can stay out of the way best, you know, and I mean that respectfully towards myself. And I mean that respectfully towards the team. It, it's like, when you get the group down there to play a game, it's allowing them and empowering them to, to have that that field and to have that stadium and that, that environment to themselves without a parent overseeing every little move that they make. And it's almost like, when you're in the passenger side with your child and you're letting them drive, but you're saying, you know, stay, stay further behind that car, or you got to take a right up here, put on your blinker. And, you know, after a while, the person that's driving is going to stop the car and say, mom, dad, get out of the car. I I no longer want you in the passenger side. And if a player felt that about me, I I think at this point in time, I, I would say, I would say that's, that's bad. I, I would never want that. So I, I think being over at third base for me is refreshing from the standpoint as it allows you to put on a few signs when you think you need to, but it, at the same time, play traffic cop, um, cheer them on, um, be their best cheerleader and just, just encourage. And then I think the, the, the coaches in the, in the Doug L Brownie obviously is in there because of the pitching situation, but you know, David Messias is is at first base, so he helps out. But Mike Baxter, Mike's the right guy to be in the dugout, really. He's you know, he works with our hitters, he's very intelligent, he's very smart, he's not a doesn't over talk, he's he's got great awareness, he's got great feel for kids, so he's not going to he's not gonna speak to him at inopportune times. And, and I think that's very helpful to the players because, you know, he, he was he wasn't a player that long ago. You know, he just got played in the big leagues. He understands what it's like to make that walk from the batter's box back to the dugout. And uh, so it, we're we're just lucky to have those guys. But you know what? If if one of those coaches said, I want to coach third base, go for it. You know, and I will I'll just go up and sit with Maggie and watch the game.
0: With the transfer rule going away, how is it going to be different this go around than than the last time when there was no transfer rule, where maybe there was you know a little bit of poaching going on, and um, you know what are the differences now with the transfer rule? Do you, what do you think?
7: Well, to be determined, you know I, I, it'll be interesting to watch how it, it plays out. But I, I feel like the transfer rule there's a place for it. I do, because I, you, you can't think that every program or every kid gets it right in their first try. And with the situation, and in, in Vanderbilt's right there now, so with the situation as it is with roster sizes and so on, kids are going to get impatient watching other people sit at a table and eat And then they're sitting, standing behind and watching other people eat and they can't get to the dinner table. So at some point in time, someone's going to say, well, I want to do that. You know, I want to get on the field. Patience is going to be tested for kids, for parents, because we all know that parents and kids make these choices. And what I, what I don't want, you know, and it's what I don't want, but is, is just you know kids running away from challenges too. I mean I think part of part of this experience is when a school does recruit someone, and as I've told our kids too, is knowing that this hey listen this might not be a first day or a 200 day thing. This may this may require 24 months. It may require 36 months. It's the same thing we told Hannah when she decided to play Vanderbilt play tennis at Vanderbilt. It was a national championship program. And we, Maggie and I, both told her it may be three years before you get on the court at Vanderbilt, and it was. It was like two and a half years. So, I think for a lot of people, they just have to understand that this is a, it's a process to to get on the field. When you play baseball, it doesn't matter what level, junior college, uh, mid-major, Division two, II, Division three, like myself you know you, you just don't jump on the field right away that doesn't happen if it does happen then you're a very very fortunate person but at the same time you better keep working but uh, i think more than anything what the the transfer rule does is it it's probably going to allow kids just to say things aren't working out here so i'm going to move over here and that grass is greener situation is not really the case everywhere so um i don't i don't know I, i'm anxious to see what what's going to happen. They're they're certainly like everything else. There'll be some issues with it, but um, it's just going to be more movement in college athletics than we've ever seen before.
0: I think if you could keep it at a 35 cap, you know, once COVID and all that stuff works itself out, if you could keep it at a 35 scholarship cap, uh, I like the fact that the 25% rule is, is probably going to go away as well. I just think it, it gives more flexibility to the college coaches where you might be at the back end of how much money you have left, where you can give a guy 5% or 10%. And if you could keep it at 35 roster cap, I think that that makes some things easier for some guys with the, with the with the transfer stuff. But those are just my, my takes on that. What's your view on MLB base MLB going in with summer college, summer baseball here, the restructuring of the minor leagues, What's your take.
7: Yeah, uh, fine. I mean, I think you know it, they have to do whatever they have to do from a minor league standpoint. But you know, some of the 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 Appy League and and some of the other leagues that are going to be converted into college leagues, I I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. It gives kids opportunity. It gives kids opportunities maybe from schools outside of Vanderbilt that might not. Get the attention uh, because they haven't been seen. It, it allows a kid to play at a high level against other kids, and 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 just just allow them to to grab some attention that 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 they haven't been able to grab during the course of the spring. So yeah, I do think that's going to be helpful. I do think it's going to be helpful, and it's a creative way to continue to keep those towns proud towns that did have baseball going and moving because there's you know there's a lot of people around that want to watch baseball and can't get to a major league park all the time particularly this year so i I do think that that's going to offer more opportunities for those small towns and certainly the kids the the playing participants themselves
0: and it's a cheaper option to go watch baseball in the summertime too no doubt how has coaching evolved since you started, or has it? It's still the same as it's always been, or how has it evolved?
7: Well, I think the crux of the game is is still the same. How people attack it is completely different. Um, and I would say that from a you know a metric standpoint, I would say that from a video standpoint, I would just say that you know we're just growing with technology. We have resources that we didn't have five years ago, that we certainly didn't have ten years ago. So uh, our staff, like many staff around the country, just have access to tools that show refinements, measurements that we weren't able to see with a naked eye that we now can see with Rapsodo, that we can see with TrackMan, that we can see with any device that allows a kid to get to an improvement point quicker than, than maybe he did five years ago. Uh, and, and maybe if 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 the naked eye of a coach wasn't able to see certain things, now you can. You know, you can slow, cameras can slow down enough to where you see that where the fingers are coming across the ball on release point, um, certain moves at the plate. Um, you know, you've got ground force tools now from a pitching and hitting standpoint, and now you can see where the weight is distributed. So yeah, I think. The, the technology and the ability to teach through all those mechanisms has certainly changed. The game is no different though. It's played by humans and will always be played by humans. And the humans inside that game make decisions and choices themselves. And we can't always define why that happens. And I and that's that's the uniqueness of the game. That's why I love the game. And that's why you can't quantify everything. I think there's, uh, there's this urge to want to quantify every little action that happens on the field, but every little action that happens on the field is not necessarily physical. It could have been an action that was made because of a decision that was made mentally. And whether it was a, an alert mind or a sleepy mind, the decision was made and the reaction was good enough or not good enough that's not quantifiable. That that you, you can't see that on track, man. That, there's, there's no measuring tool for that. And sometimes there's a humanistic piece of that that does matter. And for someone that's in that dugout that can make decisions based on the humanistic traits of the people that are playing the game, to me, that matters. It still matters. It matters more than, I'm not going to tell you that those numbers don't matter. And those measurements don't matter. They help. But until the game is played by robots, then there's still humans that play it. And there's still humans that make mistakes. There's still humans that call it and it's based on human feelings and emotions. And you know, I'll stand by that till, you know, the day I die. So from that standpoint, the game hasn't changed. The game is you know, it, it, the game of baseball is similar. There's things in inside of it, whether it's the ball, whether it's the bat, whether it's the stadiums, whether it's the metrics. Yes, the ancillary pieces have changed a little bit, but how you play the game and how you attack inside the game, virtually the same.
0: You've had some great assistant coaches. What has made a great assistant for you as a head coach?
7: Passion for the kids and passion for what they do. I, I think that's the the most important thing and and the most underrated piece of, uh, of an assistant coach is, is their wife. Uh, I I cannot tell you how important that piece is to have a teammate that you go home and sleep with that allows you to do the things that you want to do to help someone else's child. You think about the strength of a, of a wife that says to her, says to her husband, Listen, you go do your thing. I've got you back here. I'll take care of the family. When you get back, we'll reconvene. We'll do our thing as a family. But you spend the time that you need to in order to help someone else's child. That is a very giving attribute. There's just not a lot of ladies, teammates, wives. Who are A pluses in that area, and and I I would tell you it's very difficult to do that, and I would just say we're very fortunate, you know, whether it's Mary Brown, Diana Baxter, Stephanie Ham, um, Pam Macias, I mean, I just think that those girls are just as special as their, and I'm not just saying that, I mean they're just as special as their husbands because of the allowance of saying, hey, go for it, go do your thing. And then when they want to see their, ch- their, their, uh, their husband, they bring their children to the field, maybe watch practice if they can. They got their own schedules. But, you know, I think that's a very powerful thing, too, is to bring your children down to a field and watch their dad operate with someone else's kid. That's a very powerful thing for a child to see with their own dad. So, um, I I think what makes a, a good assistant coach is is many, but I would say it's his passion for the kids, passion for what he does, and having a tremendous teammate. And we're just very lucky here to to have that at Vanderbilt.
0: I was fortunate with my wife Amy. She just she understood it. She'd been around me for a long time before we got married. So she I don't think you completely know what you're getting into into until you actually get into it but she was great like she there was never an issue hey i got to go on the road or i've got to stay late like there was never an issue and then you know again you i don't think you can you can't replace that time with your dad on the field like when you got to show up for practice or watch Mm -hmm. games those are special moments that not everybody gets to experience and um Coaches' kids have a, a unique experience that, that most people don't get because you do get to be around your dad in that setting with college-age kids. Um, there's nothing better than being a 5- or 6-year-old or 7- or 8-year-old and talking to your dad's players and getting to hang out with your dad's players because you see a different side of life. It's tremendous.
7: Yeah, I, I agree with you. We raised the girls on a college campus. And I just think from a social standpoint, Ryan, there's, there's so much to be gained. It doesn't mean your child has to be a baseball player. It doesn't mean your child has to do what your dad is doing with other kids. And actually, if, if they want to do something else, more power to them. But you know what? You have access to quick thinking 18, 19-year-olds, in our case, boys. And I, I just thought that was a great advantage for the girls because they could start seeing things. They could start seeing things that they wanted. They could start communicating with, with boys. And it's such a powerful thing for those boys, too, because they have to shift gears and they have to manage their talk. They have to manage their communication in a way that's not loose as it would be on the field. So I just think there's a lot of teaching points with that.
0: What recommendations do you have for young coaches looking to get into it right now? It might be high school, college side, and then maybe some of the pitfalls you've seen out of some young assistants or even young head coaches.
7: Well, I, I think to keep your mind open, I mean, I, I just think that the learning piece is, is the most important piece of a young teacher. And I say young teacher, someone who wants to coach, I would say take on a, a teacher teacher hat, put on the teacher hat and try to learn as much as you can and listen as much as you can to other people around you. I think older people, gray-haired people, um, I just think that there's there's so many resources and it doesn't necessarily have to be someone teaching the game of baseball per se, but just teachers in general. I think there's ways to communicate and teach that you know, as coaches, we're always, we're always trying to, to lean on certain people and certain resources in which we can benefit ourselves so that we can benefit kids. Um, I, I would just, you know, I think just be careful about chasing, chasing something too hard. I, I mean, I think your ability to, to manage what you're doing right now and your ability to stay very present in what you're doing and make the environment better wherever you are, and then allow things around you to happen, I, I generally think that they will. I, I think if you're you're a young man that aspires to, to be a college coach and wants to be a college coach, I always tell them that go work camps, saddle up to people that operate camps in a way that will allow you to teach, that will allow you to meet other people, that will allow you to build a a wall of friends um, and uh, counterparts that 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 you can lean on. I, I think that that's very helpful. And uh, but I, I think if your focus is towards the kids and it's always on the kids and your 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 main goal is to build and build a an environment for them in which they can grow and and prosper, then I, I think your center point is is fine. Um, When you make it about anything else, whether it's your own growth, which your own growth is important, but you're just chasing, chasing opportunities rather than really focusing in on what you're doing. If you're chasing the dollar bill, then, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves moving in, in, in a wrong direction. We get diverted by this, this game is, you know, I'm not just because it worked out for me doesn't mean it's gonna work out for, for everyone. I was very fortunate to be in certain situations at the right time. But you know, when I was at Presby well, actually, when I was at Kingswood High School, I thought I was gonna stay at Kingswood High School the rest of my life. When I went to Presbyterian college, it was the same thing. So I, I just felt like I did have my head down. I was concentrating on what I was doing and just treated the situation with respect and treated the people in there well with respect. And I just felt like things happened because of that.
0: Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something along the way that you thought was going to sidetrack you that you look back now and maybe the best thing that ever happened to you?
7: Um, well, I I just think leaving Ohio state, um, you know, I, I wasn't asked to come back as a graduate assistant back in 1986 and, I could have stayed, but I didn't, Um, so I left, and I I left to go nowhere, and was it the best decision? Well, I I don't know. I I mean, I just made something out of it. I, you know, I drove down to Spartanburg, South Carolina, and knocked on a door, and next thing you know, I was kind of assisting in fundraising and an assistant coach in baseball at Wofford College, but one thing led to another. I, I think sometimes when we can't be afraid to up and move if we feel like if we feel like we're taking a risk but that risk is going to help us sometimes it's tough because you got your thing you got your toes on the end of a rock and you're about to jump off the cliff and you say to yourself i don't want to do this but then when you jump you say yeah you just got to make do and i think oftentimes when you make do you find you you're going to open a door somewhere that you never thought you'd open and i think for me that was it Um, I, I I could have stayed at Ohio state and just hung on, but I I just felt like, no, something was telling me, I just need to go do my thing. And I did. So that might've been that one of those fail safe moments, but I I think there's a lot of fails fail moments, you know, in coaching that I've had as a young person that I've had to modify or older people have helped me modify so it can get me back on track to, to move in the direction. So. Still learning—that's for sure. I don't have any of this figured out.
0: What are your favorite morning or evening routines that you feel like help you stay on top? Your energy level is great. You're in great shape still. What are some of the the routines that you you have that you feel like will help?
7: Well, I just think working out. I mean, I think working out every morning is. I mean, it's it's a must. I mean, it doesn't have to start every day that way, and uh, w- without it, that that's like a vitamin for me. And even if you know, even if you don't feel well, and even if you're sick, I, I just think that that's the spark that gets you going. So I'd say that first one, working out is number one. Uh, number two is is getting to the office rather early, just shutting your door and answering all your emails as much as you can. I, I have emails going back to this summer that I still haven't answered yet, be, just because I, I need to, I will get to them. But uh, I think communication and trying to return everything is important as best you possibly can. And I'm not great at it. So there's calls that that get let that I let go that I need, I need to finish, but I, I try to do that. And then um, I, I think planning the day m- about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, just making sure that the training plan is done. And certainly uh, my classroom session, which takes, you know, that takes a lot of preparation and that's day to day based on, what we're doing and then at night um it's always going out to dinner with maggie you know it's just picking her up somewhere between 7 30 and 8 30 and we pick a place and and just go and it's kind of a a nice way to finish a day for both she and i and i'm very appreciative that she likes to do that and has nothing to do with her cooking i just felt like when the girls left it was an opportunity for us just to kind of um kind of break down the day at the end of the day and she's very enjoyable to spend time with so we're we're lucky that we have one another and um you know we're kind of by ourselves so it it makes for a good lifestyle
0: if there were a couple resources that you could point to some coaches like i feel like these will help you the most what would those resources be
7: Well, I just think plugging into the the ABCA, and you didn't ask me this, but I I just think plugging into that, I mean, there's so many tremendous resources from a coach standpoint, from a video standpoint, from access standpoint. I mean, you people open your doors to all coaches throughout the country. I think that that's number one. Um, I I think anytime you can, right now, until we start opening up again, which won't be very long, that'll open up. But I, I just think accessing clinics on the web is probably a, a good way of doing it. And you know, I'm not a, a huge social media person, but I do think that there's some people on social media uh, that uh, to follow and watch Jerry Weinstein being number one. Um, you you know, he puts great, great information out there in terms of the game of baseball, which I think I told him
0: that yesterday, I interviewed him yesterday and I told him that he's my number one Twitter follow.
7: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I agree, Ryan. I mean, you know, the thing about Jerry too, and and I mean, get off on a tangent here, but you think about him, you don't, you don't look old and I'm not going to say he's old. He's older just in terms of number and tag. But that guy, he he's not slowing down at all. He 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 just is growing in the game. He gets better in the game. I mean, he was such a tremendous coach when he started, and now he's still a tremendous coach. I mean, the guy's got such longevity for the game because he's so passionate. I don't know if there's this uh, passionate guy out there about the game of baseball than Jerry Weinstein. So I love him. I love him. What he's done for other people. Um, I think he can feel it. I think he knows it, but for a young coach, he's certainly someone that you could hang on to. He's that gray haired guy I'm talking about, you know, guys, guys, those wrinkles, a lot of wisdom behind those wrinkles, a lot of thought behind those wrinkles. Those are the people that young people should, should actually be following because they know they've seen it. Their eyes have seen a lot of things that young people have not
0: he's doing the catching hot stove for the virtual convention this year and he's bringing Mike social with him. So I mean, that's great. Yep. Yep. What are some things you're looking forward to the virtual?
7: I, I just think the the ability to just sit back and, and watch it and, and just take a lot of notes at my desk. I mean, I think that's, well, you, you know, I, you, you know how much I enjoy the convention number one anyway. I mean, I, I still feel like I'm an 18 year old kid, you know, I'm like my first one in 84 Atlanta or where was Atlanta in 84 85 but yeah I just feel like that's so exciting for me personally just because you get to listen to other people talk and you're always pulling something from someone it doesn't matter who it is such great great information being shared by everyone Um, but yeah I guess just the ability just to sit back and and uh, you know watch it from afar Uh, but, but it's not going to take the place of going and seeing you guys. I mean, that, you know, you know how much fun we have at those things. I mean, that, that's the humanistic piece of that is everything it's sitting down, having dinner, you know, at at the convention and seeing you and just being able to hang out. That's, uh, going to miss that, but you know, the, the teaching will be there and it'll be fun for all those coaches.
0: Who brought you to your first convention? I mean, who recommended you go to your first ABCA convention?
7: it was a Christmas gift from my mom and dad. And uh, I I knew that there was one and I asked for it. And I just went by myself and I was scared to death. I I sat kind of in the back row. Um, Not that I was probably like a lot of other people, but you know, the back row back then wasn't so, so much. You're still close. I mean, you're still
0: close-ish.
7: Yeah. You You had a guy on a stage with no audio visual equipment, but of the best clinics to to this point you know whether it's uh you know whether it's john scalinas or whether it's john winken or whether it's mark johnson and so many other coaches that you got to see um yeah that was incredible it was eye-opening for me but i would tell you that you you asked me right out of the gates what stimulated that that was one of the things that stimulated me i want to be like them i wanted to be a coach like them and i wanted to learn so yeah, that was that was that was great. It was such an intimidating thing for me to do. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm glad a kid from Wolfboro, New Hampshire, got that opportunity.
0: And that Jerry talked about that. He said he went to one in California and it was for college guys only. So he was like trying to squeeze his way in there because he was a high school guy. And I think that's how we've evolved I think the ABCA is for everybody now. It doesn't matter. You might be a pro coach or you might be a youth coach. It's for everybody now. And I think we've grown so much because of guys like you, because of guys like Jerry that are welcoming. Doesn't matter what level you're at. Come on and we're going to share. We're going to talk about baseball. I think that's the the best thing about our organization is that part of it.
7: I, I agree. It's inclusive. It's not exclusive. And I, I think you're you're right. When you got people around that include other people and make other people feel at home, I think that that has a lot to do with it, and I, I don't necessarily feel like I was a young kid that that was. I didn't, I didn't necessarily people didn't make me feel any other way, but it, I did feel that way. But I think to make young people, especially young coaches, feel like they're included is a, is a big deal. So I'm happy more people feel that way. At least hope they do.
0: When I'm talking to youth coaches now, Mike you need to make this a great experience for the kids that you're coaching because they're going to be our future coaches. If they, if you instill a love of the game and they love it and they, they're they passionate about it, regardless of how their career goes, they're probably going to coach baseball at some point. So you have a chance to make a huge impact on the game in a bunch of different ways because you are training our next round of coaches.
7: Yeah, that, that's, that's right. And I, I think that's, you talk about paying it forward, that's essentially what you're doing as a, as a player and as a coach is you just continually paying it forward to someone else that's coming up behind you. And that's the way I I see it too. If you're going to give back from a philanthropic standpoint, not so much financially, but just giving of time and energy, that's where it starts and that's where it ends.
0: What are your final thoughts?
7: Well, I, I just, you know, I, I, I think, my final thoughts personally is just the, the gratitude towards you and your organization for continuing to plow forward with a convention um, through all of this. It would be very easy to just kind of nullify it and just move forward and just say, um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll improvise as best we can, but you're trying to make it better than it's ever been and without people being there. And I think that's going to stimulate the next one. You think about how much momentum is going to be gained through this one for next year. Um, I, I would say that in life. I mean, we're all kind of sitting in our chairs saying, okay, when can we, you know, when, when can we get out and do what we used to do? And that's, I think that's that's what, what you're doing. But I, you know, I'm grateful for Craig and you all to just continue doing what you're doing to provide this for all the coaches and to create that emotional feeling that everyone gets right after christmas because when that was and that's missing that that's that's a you know there's a lot of things that we're going without right now and that that's tough on people tough on young kids but it's tough on adults too because they're used to doing things now and they're taken away and you're feeling like I'm, I'm moving on the other side of my life. And this is, you know, I look at this and you know, it's how many times am I going to spend with Dave Kylitz? How much more time am I going to spend with, uh, with Carol land and older coach Keith Madison and Mark Johnson, people that I, you know, I cherish in my life and you're not going to get that opportunity to do it. So um, I, I think is just continuing plowing ahead with what we're doing, staying positive positive knowing that we're just around the corner from uh, getting back to some type of normalcy, whatever normalcy looks like. Thanks, Coach. Yep, yeah, you got it always.
0: I hope you're getting fired up for the convention. Uh, this is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It gives you a great opportunity to grow and interact with people that you may have not had the chance to otherwise. Let's all get ready to strap it on here Wednesday and wish everyone a great show thanks again to john litchfield zach hale and matt west and the abc office for all their help on the podcast feel free to reach out to me via email rbrownley at abca.org twitter at coach b underscore abca instagram at ryan brownley 17 or direct message me via the my ABCA app this is ryan brownley signing off for the american baseball coaches association thanks and leave it better for those behind you